This is a continuation of Notes on the Process of Bureaucratic Capitalism in the Third World Countries by Peru People's Movement. The Case of Taiwan, FDI and so-called Technology Transfer One of the many fairy tales told by the publicists of imperialism and the opportunists of all countries is that today, the dependence of the backward countries has lessened because now the foreign capital we need comes as foreign direct investment, FDI, indispensable for technology transfer and therefore for independent development because foreign capital now no longer comes primarily as ensnaring loans or public debt. But they forget that development aid, especially Japanese aid, is another way through which the imperialists intervene in the economic policy of our countries for the benefit of their export of capital and goods and to broaden the social base in their favor in the recipient country. Furthermore, they add that because much of this FDI now comes from third world countries like our own, it supposedly has a different character. These erroneous conclusions make it necessary to raise some fundamental questions based on specific situations. Therefore, it is appropriate to introduce, with our comments, some excerpts from the Case Study of Taiwanese-Japanese Joint Ventures in China by J.M. Gherkin, which clearly demonstrates the class character of this FDI that comes in a package. What is the importance of this work, and what are its limitations? Its importance stems from the fact that it is a case study. It links the macro and microeconomic aspects of Japanese FDI in Taiwan which takes the form of FDI package transfer, or transfer of the production of simple standardized products, which will then be made clear in the next investment in the series of the cycle, catching up product cycle, i.e. in the next Japanese-Taiwanese investment in China. We intend to use this empirical information to show how imperialist financial capital, Japanese in this case, contributes to generating the intermediary, subsidiary, or daughter, company of Taiwanese bureaucratic capitalism, and how Japanese imperialist capital, through these investments, will then penetrate China. We intend to use these concrete cases to demonstrate how these international networks of dependence and of financial capital relations are generated, and how it, after generating the monopolies and their networks in the countries of origin, imperialist, extends into the countries of the third world and to China as the most economically backward imperialist country and where investments are more profitable to obtain super profits. The problem or limitation is how the author, Gherkin, sees the cycle of imperialist finance capital. He sees it limited solely to the first moment of the cycle and does not see the complete cycle of the Japanese FDI. He sees the second part of the cycle as a new investment of the recipient country, or at best as a hybrid. Japanese direct investment in Korea, subsidiary or daughter company of the main Japanese company or mother company, then Japanese Korean investment in China, granddaughter company, or in other countries such as Vietnam or the Philippines, granddaughter companies. 
we must apply the concept of the holding system established by Lenin in order to determine the true nature of these investments. In the footsteps of his mentor, Kojima, even though it contradicts his own exposition of the facts, Gherkin takes the second moment of the imperialist FDI as direct investments in which the new industrial economies of the ASEAN region invest China and Vietnam. He calls these investments new direct investments and extension of the product cycle, and also refers to these new industrial economies of the ASEAN region as catching up economies. In other words, the study focuses on the transfer, as part of the FDI package, of simple and standardized Japanese products to be produced in Taiwan, applied to the conditions of the country, new standardized product, then extended or transferred to be produced in China. As can be expected, the study focuses on the relations between things, commodity fetishism, and not upon the relations which these things hide. That is to say, it does not focus on the social relations of production. This is the main thing that, for the moment, we must stress regarding the quotes that follow. Why? Because in addition to their bourgeois conception, as Lenin pointed out in his aforementioned work, these academics see subsidiary companies as independent simply because they are legally so, and because they seek to beautify imperialism. But as Lenin himself told us, we are dealing with a work of literature written from the bourgeois point of view, but which, nevertheless, gives a fairly truthful picture and criticism, petty bourgeois, naturally, of this financial oligarchy. Let's take a look at the quotes. The Macroeconomic Theory of Foreign Direct Investment FDI, developed by Kojima gives this issue an adequate framework, since this later helps to link it up with the microeconomic aspect. Kojima analyzes the effect of the FDI on the recipient country and notes that Japan's FDI differs from American and European FDI. In an effort to clarify this detail, Kojima identifies the existence of a type of FDI, which catching up economies prefer to implement and then continue throughout East Asia. In this relationship, one can speak of the direct investment cycle, which firstly begins from an industrial country and passes to an emerging country and then on to a developing country. From the 1970s, it was observed that the newly industrialized economies NIEs, in South Korea, Taiwan, Singapore, and Hong Kong carried out direct investments in the ASEAN states, whereas they were still mostly recipients of FDI in the 1950s and 1960s. In the second half of the 1980s, the NIEs began to invest in China and Vietnam. With the beginning of the new direct investment cycle, the entrepreneurs of the NIEs showed that they had acquired technical knowledge, capital and business management knowledge, and that the extension of the product cycle had also taken place at that level. In the empirical part, we will examine the role Japanese FDI has played in the development of Taiwanese direct investments in China, and what particular knowledge of the product, process, and business management knowledge of Japanese subsidiaries in Taiwan has been employed in the subsequent investment in China. In this example, the advances in the knowledge of the Taiwanese partner can be observed at the micro level. Some of the Taiwanese investors apply in China the products and technological processes that they have developed or adapted to local conditions. In this case, there is talk of a quote hybrid technology transfer, unquote, 
which, under certain circumstances, is more appropriate to Chinese conditions. So, reference has been made to the product cycle through the phenomenon of subsequent investment, macroeconomic level, centered on the microeconomic business aspect, meaning what precisely the contribution of the subsidiary company is in the reproduction of a given good. This is how they take up the direct investment instrument. The business equipment variable denotes the transfer of the FDI package, which consists of product knowledge, process knowledge, and business management knowledge. Capital can be supplemented or substituted through specific industrial patrimony, tangible or intangible, such as secondhand production machines. Continuing with the quotes from the study, similarly to Japan, in Taiwan, comparative advantages in labor-intensive industries have declined. Labor-intensive use is typical of backward economies. As such, Taiwan itself began to transfer its labor-intensive industries to low-wage countries. As can be seen, a whole hierarchy is established by the degree of development, measured by the use of labor among the companies of the different countries that belong to the holding system of a determined parent monopoly. As industrialization progressed, international export experience spurred Taiwan's investments in Southeast Asia. Taiwanese subsidiaries were strengthened by local comparative advantages. Taiwanese investments in the mainland, in the People's Republic of China, grew by about 30 billion US dollars from 1983 to 1996. The comparison of Japanese FDI in Taiwan with Taiwanese direct investments in China in the electrical and electronics industry expresses Japan's strong involvement. Between 1952 and 1997, more than a quarter, 27%, of Japanese investment capital flowed into this branch. 375 small and medium-sized entrepreneurs, as well as 33 large Japanese entrepreneurs, founded one or more subsidiaries in Taiwan. The product range of the Japanese companies encompasses everything from cables to computers. These products include many standardized parts, components, and simple additives. Taiwanese investments in monitors, keyboards, and other peripheral devices are noteworthy. These are almost all past models that were transferred to China, e.g. 15-inch displays. Japanese presence is even more evident in the Taiwanese automobile industry. Eight of the 11 self-assembly producers have a joint venture and or a contract of cooperation with the Japanese. In Taiwan, the same model was reassembled just as in Japan. This also expresses a closed merger with the Taiwanese auto producer. Here you will also find examples for simple parts, bodies, transmissions, which were transferred to China as part of the subsequent investment. In Southeast Asia, the foreign direct investments, the NIEs, are predominantly small and medium-sized entrepreneurs who have so far extended their production of simple goods overseas or moved there completely. One of the cornerstones of this are the favorable trade conditions, which are being discussed between the European Union, or NAFTA, and the ASEAN states. Another cornerstone for direct investments by NIEs, the local markets in Southeast Asia, economies of scale, which have previously taken imports from NIEs. Among the most recent waves of NIE investors are mobile exporters, who preferentially move their production because of low wages. 
in Southeast Asia, simple electronics parts and electronic devices, optical components, for example lenses, and furniture parts are assembled. The reason for low labor costs and market orientation is once again illustrated by the three predominant strategies of Taiwanese investments in China. Mature products with labor-intensive production methods affect the three C's, consumer electronics, computer, and communication. It is a breakdown of complex technical processes of high-tech products and standardized primary and intermediate products, which takes place within the International Division of Labor. Within the scope of these standardized products, primary and intermediate, particularly small and flexible companies from newly industrialized economies, NIEs, enter as joint venture partners or OEM producers. Original Equipment Manufacturer a typical pattern of this international division of labor is to be found in the PC industry. At the forefront are U.S. companies, which develop software systems for PCs and make central processing units CPUs. Japanese companies provide some key components, e.g. liquid crystal displays LCD. This is very important because it shows the intermediary character of the Korean monopoly company Samsung that employs these softwares. It makes it clear that U.S. imperialist finance capital primarily dominates the region, followed by Japanese imperialist capital, and then by the other imperialists. The intermediary role or function of the companies of the countries of bureaucratic capitalism or of Chinese imperialism can be seen by how they are subject to the needs of imperialist financial capital, as we read below. For some computer parts, there are specialized suppliers in South Korea and Singapore. Taiwanese manufacturers aim to provide higher quality peripherals and individual components. The provision of simple devices, e.g. keyboards, intermediate products, parts, is taken over by companies in China and the ASEAN states. The outsourcing of the production of labor-intensive products and simple precursor products progresses and has to do with the production of said parts and components which Taiwan has specialized in. For LCD production, for example, the lowest production level of an LCD screen is produced by a Taiwanese company in China. The rapid implementation of product improvements, e.g. 17-inch displays, leads the lower levels, such as 14 and 15-inch displays, to a standardized method of production so that these, quote, obsolete products, unquote, can remain on the market. As a result, the export of imperialist capital means that its economic crisis is also exported to overseas countries and an entire international network of dependencies and connections of financial capital is established, as Lenin warned us. Paramount importance attaches to the holding system. The German economist Heyman, probably the first to call attention to this matter, describes the essence of it in this way, quote, the head of the concern controls the principal company, literally the mother company. The latter reigns over the subsidiary companies, daughter companies, which in their turn control still other subsidiaries, grandchild companies, etc. In this way, it is possible with a comparatively small capital to dominate immense spheres of production. Indeed, if holding 50% of the capital is always sufficient to control a company, the head of the concern needs only 1 million to control 8 million in the second subsidiaries. And if this interlocking is extended, it is possible with 1 million to 
control 16 million, 32 million, etc. Unquote. To divide a single business into several parts by setting up daughter companies or by annexing them. The advantages of this system for various purposes, legal and illegal, are so evident that big companies which do not employ it are quite the exception. The quote democratization of capital, unquote, the strengthening of the role and significance of small-scale production, etc., is, in fact, one of the ways of increasing the power of the financial oligarchy. But the holding system not only serves enormously to increase the power of the monopolists, it also enables them to resort with impunity to all sorts of shady and dirty tricks to cheat the public. Because formally, the directors of the mother company are not legally responsible for the daughter company, which is supposed to be independent, and through the medium of which they can, quote, pull off, unquote, anything. A monopoly, once it is formed and controls thousands of millions, inevitably penetrates into every sphere of public life, regardless of the form of government and all other details. The supremacy of finance capital over all other forms of capital means the predominance of the rentier and of the financial oligarchy. It means that a small number of financially powerful states stand out among all the rest. In one way or another, nearly the whole of the rest of the world is more or less the debtor to and tributary of these international banker companies, these four pillars of world finance capital. It is particularly important to examine the part which the export of capital plays in creating the international network of dependence on and connections of finance capital. The exposition of the facts concerning the development of imperialism and consequently bureaucratic capitalism in Southeast Asia over the last three decades and beyond demonstrates the full validity of what has been established by Marxism-Leninism-Maoism regarding imperialism and bureaucratic capitalism. What we have seen is an increased export of capitals and a consequently heightened struggle in which big monopolies and imperialist countries compete to penetrate the economies of semi-colonial countries more thoroughly and extensively. This causes production in the semi-colonial countries to become more and more dependent on these capitals and more deformed, as they produce for the needs of the imperialist world market rather than for internal development. Thus, we have seen the development of the international network of dependency and the connections of finance capital. In other words, global value production networks of the biggest imperialist monopolies or MNEs. International production networks, or whatever the bourgeois economists wish to call them. These networks are nothing more than the tentacles of the biggest monopolies for contesting the economic territory of the world through peaceful or violent means which the author of the case study sees as the FDI and product cycle, and which others refer to as the global value production chains. For our countries, this has meant a further deepening of their semi-colonial, semi-feudal condition upon which bureaucratic capitalism develops. Regarding this subject, Lenin said, Typical of the old capitalism, when free competition held undivided sway, was the export of goods. Typical of the latest stage of capitalism, when monopolies rule, is the export of capital. Capitalism is commodity production at its highest stage of development, when labor power itself becomes a commodity. 
the growth of internal exchange, and particularly of international exchange, is a characteristic feature of capitalism. The uneven and spasmodic development of individual enterprises, individual branches of industry, and individual countries is inevitable under the capitalist system. An enormous, quote, surplus of capital, unquote, has arisen in the advanced countries. It goes without saying that if capitalism could develop agriculture, if it could raise the living standards of the masses, there could be no question of a surplus of capital. Both uneven development and a semi-starvation level of existence of the masses are fundamental and inevitable conditions and constitute premises of this mode of production. As long as capitalism remains what it is, surplus capital will be utilized not for the purpose of raising the standard of living of the masses in a given country, for this would mean a decline in profits for the capitalists, but for the purpose of increasing profits by exporting capital abroad to the backward countries. In these backward countries, profits are usually high, for capital is scarce, the price of land is relatively low, wages are low, raw materials are cheap. The export of capital is made possible by a number of backward countries having already been drawn into world capitalist intercourse. Elementary conditions for industrial development have been created, etc. The need to export capital arises from the fact that in a few countries, capitalism has become, quote, overripe, unquote, and owing to the backward state of agriculture and the poverty of the masses, capital cannot find a field for profitable investment. Thus, finance capital literally, one might say, spreads its net over all countries of the world. An important role in this is played by banks. The capital exporting countries have divided the world among themselves in the figurative sense of the term, but finance capital has led to the actual division of the world. Since we are speaking of colonial policy in the epoch of capitalist imperialism, it must be observed that finance capital and its foreign policy, which is the struggle of the great powers for the economic and political division of the world, give rise to a number of transitional forms of state dependence. In this epoch, it is not only the two main groups of countries, those owning colonies and the colonies themselves, that are typical. Also typical are the diverse forms of dependent countries which, politically, are formally independent, but in fact, are enmeshed in the net of financial and diplomatic dependence. We have already referred to one form of dependence, the semi-colony. An example of another form is provided by Argentina. South America, and especially Argentina, writes Schulze Gewernitz in his work on British imperialism, is so dependent financially on London that it ought to be described as almost a British commercial colony. Good place to stop. We will return in part five with the section entitled Technology Transfer and the FDI Package. You can get the Menagerie before the rest of the world and an invite to our Discord server for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash epicincredulity. Higher levels of support will garner access to extra content, stickers, influence over what I cover in future Menageries, and maybe even some merch. For now, comrades, enjoy. Yeah, Epoch. Epoch. Epoch.